You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for downloading our show today. Before we begin, on behalf of Changing Our World, I would like to express our solidarity with all those who are protesting around the country in response to the atrocity of George Floyd's death and others, and for the racial injustices and inequities that are still a part of our society today. We also express our heartfelt prayers and support to all who have been injured or who have suffered property damage at the hands of the riots and vandalism. It is our sincerest hope that all communities can come together in a peaceful way to resolve these injustices and create a path forward. Again, please know that you are in our thoughts and prayers. On today's podcast, we continue our series, Advancing Our Church Through Challenging Times, and I host another esteemed panel of experts, and this time on the topic of diocesan foundations providing service. This panel discussion aired live on our webinar last week, May 28th, and our guests include Patrick Grace, the Executive Director of the Catholic Community Foundation of Cleveland, and Cullen Miller, the President of the Catholic Community Foundation of Minnesota. Kimberly Riley, the president at the Catholic Foundation of Central Florida, and Bill McLean, the interim executive director and chief development officer at the Hartford Bishops Foundation. And so, without further ado, here is our conversation. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our session two of Advancing Our Church Through Challenging Times. My name is Jim Friend. I'm a managing director for Changing Our World, and I'm the host of the Advancing Our Church podcast. We have a terrific program scheduled for you this morning, some conversation with some experts, leaders of Catholic foundations from around the country. Uh, just a word, we, we have the opportunity for you to type in your questions throughout this uh, panel presentation, and we encourage you to do that because it, uh, it adds to the flavor and the color of our conversation, and we want to be responsive to what's on your mind. And so uh, each of us comes at this from different perspectives but each of us kind of sharing that common mission and that some some very similar experiences, I'm sure, uh, with reopenings and the challenges uh, that we're dealing with today. So thank you. Um, I'm going to start us off with a quick stewardship prayer, if that's okay, and uh, and then we'll go ahead and introduce our panelists. So let's begin in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Loving God, I come to you in thanksgiving, knowing that all I am and that all I have is a gift from you. In faith and love, help me to do your will. I am listening, Lord God. Speak your words into the depth of my soul that I may hear you clearly. I offer to you this day all the facets of my life, whether it be at home, at work, or at school, to be patient, to be merciful, to be generous, to be holy. Give me the wisdom and insight to understand your will for me and the fervor to carry out my good intentions. I offer my gifts of time, talent, and possessions to you as a true act of faith to reflect my love for you and my neighbor. Help me to reach out to others as you, my God, have reached out to me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, welcome to our panelists. Thank you for taking a few minutes to be with us this morning and uh, for the prep work that we did to to get ready for today. Let me 
uh, I'll introduce everybody and then maybe we'll just go around the horn and uh, maybe tell us a bit about uh, yourself and and uh, and your foundation. Uh, we'll start with uh, Patrick Grace. Patrick uh, from the Diocese of Cle Cleveland, the Community Foundation. Welcome, Patrick. Kimberly Riley is uh, the Executive Director for the Catholic Foundation of Central Florida. Welcome, Kimberly. Ann Cullen Miller is the Executive Director President of the Community Foundation in Minnesota. And then William McLean is the Executive Director of the Hartford Bishops Foundation in Connecticut. Welcome, everybody. Patrick, tell us a little bit about uh, the Diocese of Cleveland, what's happening there today. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be with everyone today. Um, what, what appears to be the start of summer, which at least for those of us on the, in the Midwest and East Coast, so it's great to be with everyone during this, albeit very strange times. Um, glad to share anything we can or I can related to our experience here in, in the Diocese of Cleveland. Our foundation was formed in 2000, um, and we are a comprehensive fundraising, fund development, fund management entity that serves the Church of of uh, the Diocese of Cleveland uh, with 185 parishes, about 700,000 Catholics. We raise about, uh, on an annual basis, anywhere from 20 to $25 million in cash and pledges for our annual appeal, other initiatives, plan gifts. Uh, we also work with parishes, uh, individual funds, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we had to put a pause on a, on a major capital campaign this spring when the pandemic struck. And so certainly be happy to address questions around that or what we've done on that front. Uh, we spent a lot of time recently on working with our parishes, as so many, I'm guessing, uh, that are on this call are doing right now as we continue to work uh, lock arm in arm with them uh, during this, this difficult time. Um, our annual fund is, is a big concern, uh, but fortunately right now we're holding our own. We're actually likely to be a little ahead of where we were last year. Uh, our annual fund raises about $14 million, primarily or exclusively for Catholic charities. Again, we're, we're grateful that we're, we're ahead of where we were a year ago. Our donor count is down. Uh, that's our biggest challenge right now, quite honestly. Um, but uh, we're doing quite a bit with with parishes and and as well as to address the COVID situation with an emergency fund and, and things of the like. So um, I'll come back to some other issues, but glad to be here. Great. Thank you, Patrick. Kimberly, how's the weather in Central Florida today? I always ask you that whenever we chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's good today, Jim. Thank you for hosting us and uh, glad to be here. Um, it's been a little rainy. We've had some rain. We had to um, uh, postpone our rocket launch that we had yesterday, if you've heard about that. So we were all a little disappointed with that. But um, otherwise, pretty good. We can't complain in Central Florida. So the Catholic Foundation of Central Florida is an independent um, nonprofit organization. We were established, um, created a, a little over 10 years ago. And um, we, our mission is to serve the corporal and spiritual needs of the Diocese of Orlando here in Central Florida. That's nine counties um, throughout Central Florida from the East Coast over to about mid part of the state. And um, we, we do have different divisions. So we have a community services division that focuses on our parishes and our schools and entities um, providing feasibility studies, uh, capital campaigns, offertory enhancement programs, and partnering with the diocese to manage their um, annual appeal as well. The annual appeal here is, is about $15, $16 million. Then we have our investment uh, management and donor services divisions, and they focus on the assets that we manage, which is about $55 million now. And um, work with our donors with gift planning and uh, trying to help them uh, reach their philanthropic aspirations. Terrific. 
Terrific. Thank you, Kimberly. Great to have you here. And tell us a little about the uh, the foundation in Minnesota. Welcome. Thank you, and thanks for the invitation to be a part of this conversation. Uh, so the Catholic Community Foundation of Minnesota was established in 1992, kind of really got started in um, 94. We are an independent, lay-led um, foundation, um, and uh, we, uh, with a, with an independent board of directors, we are our archdiocese, so we serve all the dioceses um, that don't have foundations in the state of Minnesota. So three, in addition to the archdiocese, there's a couple other in the state area that use our services. Um, in the archdiocese, we have 189 parishes and about 79 schools um, that are supported. Our foundation focuses on, um, we don't do the annual appeals. There's another foundation in our community that focuses solely on that. So we work with donors and institutions um, we try to inspire generosity, um, teach about passing on blessings received, um, and advancing philanthropy for the common good. Um, we have a lot of uh, funding partners in the community. Um, we work well and partner well with the Archdiocese and the Archbishop, as well as other um, Catholic organizations, secular organizations in town. Um, we grant about... 17 or 18 million a year into the community on behalf of our donors, making us, I think this year we became the fifth largest public grant maker in the state of Minnesota. Uh, so it speaks to this Catholic community, the generosity and support of our donors, about 800,000 Catholics. Tremendous. The Catholic community is alive in Minnesota. That's great. That's great. Bill, tell us a bit about the uh, Hartford Bishops Foundation. Welcome. Good morning. Um, I, uh, I'm the Chief Development Officer for the Archdiocese, uh, and just a, just a point of correction, I'm the acting, or I guess interim, uh, Executive Director of the Foundation. So I, I kind of wear two hats, um, and, and in addition to the Foundation, there is a Development Office as well, so it's a, a bit of a bifurcated uh, organization. Uh, the Foundation was started in 2016, independent, 501c3. The only activity of the foundation right now is a capital campaign, the first capital campaign undertaken by the Archdiocese uh, of Hartford in its 150-year history. So that's really the, the, the almost the entire activity of the foundation right now. It's an $80 million campaign. We're about a third of the way through the campaign. So uh, we've had some unique challenges hitting hitting the pause button, button on the campaign uh, in con uh, consideration of the crisis and then getting it started again. Um, our AAA raises approximately 10 million and we have 131 parishes in three counties. So if you look at the state of Connecticut, you've got three dioceses. We are Hartford uh, County, Litchfield County and New Haven County. So really the upper corner of the state into the middle of the state. Excited to, to be here today and hope I can share some, some of our experiences and some of our some wisdom around uh, the crisis and our plans for going forward. Well, thanks, Bill. It's great to, great to have you here. Great to have all of you here. Um, it's interesting, two of you were in the middle of major capital campaigns, so I, I look forward to kind of having that, that discussion. But why don't we start a little bit with what were some of your, when this pandemic began and places began to close and we saw you saw the climate begin to change rather rapidly as we all did. What were some of the immediate first steps you took in providing support to the parishes and the institutions that you serve? So we, um, you know, things started 
really changing around, you know, right around March 16th, March 17th. And we had a grants committee meeting that day. Um, and we basically put the agenda aside and um, said, what do we do? The environment's changing. It's a new normal. And how do we respond? How do we live out our mission? So we decided, like a lot of other Catholic foundations, to um, move into a Catholic relief fund. So we tested that idea uh, again with our uh, grants committee a couple of days later, ultimately moving it through and getting it unanimously approved within a week by our executive committee launching. Um, within the first week after launch, we raised, our first gift was $100,000 commitment and we raised about a little over 500 within the first week, put an advisory committee um, together for uh, grant making in partnership with with some key leaders at the archdiocese who had good need and cash flow analysis, et cetera, and, and just started rocking and rolling with that effort, um, moving and innovating in different ways to try to raise money. Um, our team came together uh, to do that, but as an executive director, I would say the other major thing in my mind besides living that mission and supporting community was taking care of my team, group of unbelievable um, committed professionals, getting them all safe and working remotely, which is hard for all of us as under-resourced nonprofits, especially in, in um, you know, faith uh, organizations. Um, so anyway, we, you know, those two were the, those two priorities were, were huge for us in the early days. Um, and with tremendous leadership and, and support in inside the Catholic Community Foundation of Minnesota and outside amongst our partners, um, we were able to to get a few things done and take care of everything. Jim, I can uh, address that for what we did, what we've done in uh, Cleveland. What we did, I mentioned that uh, we were in the middle of a, a seminary, a modest seminary campaign, thirty million dollars. Um, we did press the pause button, uh, similarly to uh, many, or I think uh, those that were in capital campaigns, diocesan campaigns during. Uh, right around the middle of the end of March, press the pause button. What we did is we pivoted. I've, I've heard that word once in the last uh, two and mm -hmm. a half, three months. I've heard it a thousand times. The word pivot is, I think I go to bed with that word in my in my head. Um, but we pivoted uh, the work of our what, our major gift officers, relationship managers, uh, and the work um, of the foundation to really uh, launch an effort to help our parish is called SECURE, S-E-C-U-R-E, -E, not to be confused with the SECURE, the tax uh, uh, actor plan of 2019, but rather uh, the SECURE program was really intended, it is intended to, to walk hand in hand and, and work with our parishes in three areas. One would be virtual communications. Second would be uh, social media and online ministry. And third would be offertory and revenue uh, recovery. And so we've spent the last eight weeks, um, our relationship managers who have a portfolio of donors now have a portfolio of parishes specifically implementing the SECURE program uh, intended to, again, really hold their hand. A lot of our parishes, um, you know, quite honestly, even some of the ones you would have thought would be better positioned to move forward through this pandemic. And not that any of us have, would be uh, anticipating or, or, or uh, certainly looking forward to anything like this, but some of them are, were a little slower to, to get going, if you will. And so having that assistance from us directly meeting with them weekly, um, of course, everything virtual with their finance council leaders, their pastors, business managers to help imp implement a series of steps to help them in these three areas was very helpful. Uh, and then we like um, my guess is many on this call, including certainly what Ann and the folks in, in Minnesota and the others have done, established an immediate 
parish emergency fund uh, that we've got about a million and a half dollars that's been committed to that um, and is being used by our pastors who are applying for grants each and every week to meet the local needs of their parish communities. That effort has been obviously greatly received by our local parish leaders and, and allowed them to serve some of the, the vulnerable in their own parish communities. So those are just two things that we've done and certainly in response to how we uh, pivoted from our campaign. Thanks, Patrick. I can add a, a couple of things. Um, first mm -hmm. of all, I want to just acknowledge that we are currently working with Changing Our World and, and have been since 2017 in our capital campaign. And I just want to thank them for not only for their capital campaign campaign council, but for their quick ability to pivot um, with us and partner with us very effectively um, over the last 90 days in addressing the crisis. So I want to acknowledge a lot of what we've done has been in very close partnership with our fundraising council. So I just want to acknowledge that. It's um, So I, I do want to say thank you to uh, the group that may be on the phone as well. So the first thing that we did was to um, we developed a short-term 90-day action plan uh, that focused on four areas, and some of them you've already touched on, you know, immediate support of the parish communities, advice primarily related to offertory development, financial support. Uh, we also moved from the capital campaign, capital campaign fundraising to fundraising for immediate relief related to the crisis. Um, <clears throat> we have spent a fair amount of time uh, focusing on uh, COVID-related communications, uh, not just with the board, uh, but with our, our AAA, our annual appeal donors, uh, pastors, and other key stakeholders. So, uh, and I'm happy to add some, some additional words of wisdom around that later. That's really been essential, though, is uh, communicating not just the impact this has had on the foundation, acknowledging the impact it's had on the parishes and our, and our donors, um, but we've really stepped up our communications uh, significantly, I think, uh, to great effect. Uh, and we've also spent a fair amount of time uh, planning for the continuation of the foundation's um, regular operations, albeit remotely, including back burner campaign planning. We haven't certainly have not abandoned the campaign by any means and are intending to move forward with that again in this, over the summer and into the fall. Um, but the foundation board continues to meet remotely. Uh, we probably have 10 subcommittees that have been meeting. On a regular basis, we've been making grants through the capital campaign to the parishes and other ministries. So uh, we've kept the operations of the foundation going fairly seamlessly, uh, in addition to focusing on those three other areas that I mentioned. Terrific. Thank you, Bill. Kimberly? I would say very similar to, to what you've heard. So uh, because our community services team does the feasibility studies and, and um, capital campaigns, we had about half a dozen parishes who were um, in process of a campaign, in process of a feasibility study, or about to start one or the other. And so first they um, reached out to those pastors and their volunteers that we were working with and help them um, hit that pause button and talk about how we plan to, to go forward. And um, we, we also took on um, offertory in a way that we haven't done before. So recognizing that as we got into it after several weeks, recognizing that the, um, the parishes 
um, were going to have severe financial difficulties with the churches closing, uh, we actually um, put up a web page for all any of our parishes, we have, um, 93 parishes, and we started collecting for any of them. So if they had their own online giving, it was just a, an extra net to catch something in case somebody wasn't aware of that. If they didn't have online giving, then it was their their uh, lifeline really to have offertory. And so sure. that's not typically what the foundation has done and how we've served in the past, but that's one of the ways that we pivoted. Um, and, and, and that page is still live and still going as we see what's going on. And, We'll eventually get out of that at some point in time. Um, the other thing we did was um, divide up that campaign team that typically we focused on servicing campaigns, recognizing again that campaigns were not going to um, go live or, or be active for quite a while. And we divided up all of those parishes and um, each of those campaign directors is servicing individual parishes throughout the diocese, making sure they're helping to bring them back to financial wellness as best they can with some of those best practices, primarily communication, um, engaging with their parishioners even during this time while the church is closed. And, and then what we did working with our board is uh, to create a, a fund that was specific to meet the broader community needs, recognizing that those needs were increasing specifically for food, housing assistance, and behavioral health care. And Catholic Charities of Central Florida is one of our partners here. Um, so we wanted to support them in the increased needs, severe increased needs that they were experiencing. So our board um, worked with us to seed the fund, um, provide a match, and um, launch the Central Florida Catholic Mercy Fund. We've raised over $50,000 with that fund and done our first distribution to them, and the, the funds continue to come in. And then as, as Ann said, and, and, and both Bill and, and Patrick mentioned, of course, the existing team um, is so important. And so we worked with our board and our staff to create that business continuation plan, making sure that we could still achieve the mission um, that we're here to do and protect that staff um, and keep them safe. Wonderful, wonderful. I just want to pick up on a couple of themes that I heard from the four of you. Um, maybe maybe a follow-up question. And one of the one of the comments that you made was getting your staff uh, set up during this environment. You know, uh, some of your staff it was for some it was probably easy. They had a laptop, or maybe were a little more technologically adept than others. And um, what are what have the four of you done to keep your teams together during this crisis to uh, build? build your team up and, and draw closer together, make sure that you're in sync. Uh, it's not always easy to do that remotely or using Zoom or WebEx or whatever you use on a daily basis. But uh, how, how do you keep your teams together? Some who may be listening on this webinar are also leading teams, and I'm sure they'd be interested to hear how you're managing through this. No, it, it's, it was a major priority. I, our ability to advance mission is um, because of the talent on this team and the vocational commitment every one of our staff have towards towards this work. Um, so it was super important to me and to the rest of the leadership team. I have two great leaders who work alongside me to, you know, we didn't have all the, we didn't have what we needed um, when it looked like this thing was coming down. And I was not even in the state when that was happening on the phone with um, Casey, the head of um, finance for the foundation saying, just get them, just get the laptops and get it done. There's, 
it, it doesn't matter whose role, um, who has what role, just everybody equipped to get safely offsite. So we got all that done. And then because of the talent, I think, which many of us have the opportunity to work with, you know, we set up with Microsoft Teams and have been able to stay in very close touch. I, um, they laugh at me because I resisted. Um, I think our culture and the organizational values we have are so important. It's always been my um, my sense that we build that together in person, and I've tried to protect that and have resisted remote working. Um, yet they have proven to me that um, we can do this and we can do it well. Um, and because of that commitment. So they've leveraged technology. People are very innovative. Um, no one has resisted um, uh, getting getting outside the box. Personally, for me, I have a list of all these things I now know how to do um, that I never possible technologically um, before. Um, but we, you know, we... We have a lot of gratitude for each other, um, and, I, and we've continued to focus on that. Um, I'll just mention our organizational values, and I think we've just leaned into them. Compassionate service, uh, supporting, accompanying, and empowering others with empathy and eye toward continuous improvement has gotten put to work like creating collaboration, working together as a community to advance the common good, using principles of trust, subsidiarity, solidarity, charity, and curiosity. Stewardship, we all know what that is, but also Catholic identity. Every single thing we do, we do with a Catholic heart and little C Catholic as well as big C Catholic. And and I think that's the secret sauce um, to our culture. And um, we're then what we're trying to do is figure out well how do we how do we keep it going virtually? Um, so we do. Um, Happy hours we've done. Um, there's a couple days a week where we have lunch together as a team. Team meetings carry on. So, you know, I'm sure you'll hear more about that. So I won't do the laundry list, but um, it's a priority. Sure. It's funny. And I've learned uh, quite a bit, too. So I can echo that. And the Microsoft Teams is the platform, the software that we've been using to stay in touch. And just coincidentally, at the beginning of the year, something happened with our network where every time we logged into Outlook, Microsoft Teams was opening up and we hadn't been using it. Um, it wasn't part of our office um, software and it would frustrate me to no end. I'd have to close Microsoft Teams. Like, what is this program? Why is this coming up? And, and I didn't even look at it. Um, and so when the pandemic hit and we uh, put our business plan together and we figured out we, we've had probably about a third of the staff coming into the office um, on different days. So part of our business continuation plan was based on roles, equipment here in the office that nobody has at home, certain printers, big giant printers and things like that. So some people come in and, and some people work from home um, through, throughout the week, but uh, we started using Teams and we have just thoroughly enjoyed that. There's all the gifts and little icons that you can use and, and you just as personable um, using that. So um, we've enjoyed that. We usually check in every day. We just started what we call the 407. So every Wednesday at 407, one of our campaign directors, Teresa, created uh, perpetual meetings for us, however long this lasts. Um, and we all just get on and talk with each other and find out how we're doing and um, Great. stories. Yeah. So um, th those have been good. And, and, and the team is 
uh, trying to find time to do lunch, get together, um, and like you say, spend time as well as do all the business meetings that, that we have. So we've enjoyed that. That's great. Jim, you know, one of the things that we didn't, I would echo sentiment much of what um, Kimberly and Ann have shared, but one of the things that just a small little item that um, was helpful that actually part of someone else's, we had our board members reach out to every one of our staff and just thank them for their extraordinary work. And so to get that call uh, an email personalized from a board member to everyone on our team uh, expressing their gratitude, we had a couple of board members call each, each person. That, that, I think, meant a lot to everyone on the team, just to, to hear that word of gratitude. You can't say thankful enough. It's a part of our part of our ministry that we live each and every day with donors. And why shouldn't that reflect and be reflective upon our staffs as well? So that's something we did that was very well received. Great. Terrific. I'll, ju I'll just add that you know, I, this has really been, uh, this has worked better than I thought it would in terms of staying in touch and being working effectively remotely. Um, I, I have found uh, that I'm in contact with the staff almost on a daily basis, almost more than before, in effect, mm -hmm. uh, mainly one-on-one, -on -one. Um, but some, some Zoom, Zoom calls, some Zoom conference calls, a lot of conference calling with uh, capital campaign advisors uh, and other vendors that we're working with. Um, the firm that's uh, assisting us with our website, um, you know, almost as effectively as, as if we were in the same room together. You know, I, I probably should go back and take a look at, at the log of all the calls that I've made over the last three months. And, and mm -hmm. but it's been a lot of a lot of very good communication, mainly one on one, but also uh, in groups where where necessary um, and the board as well. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the operations of the foundation continue, has have continued very seamlessly. Um, you know, I speak to the chairman probably two or three times a week, which I would do normally anyway. So um, this uh, this has been uh, has not been um, as detrimental in terms of uh, the work of our staff and and staying connected as I thought it would be. Mm. Tremendous. Um, we had a question from uh, somebody who was on the line who said, um, do you feel that by pivoting to help the parishes, the relationships between the foundation and the parishes have been strengthened? And do you think that that can be sustained beyond, you know, this, uh, this crisis, this experience we're having? We, we, I, I, I will say, if I can answer that question just uh, first, um, I think one of the, uh, the silver lining, if there is a silver lining to this, is um, is the outreach to the parishes um, on the part of my staff, myself, our fundraising counselors. We have, we have also established um, an, emer an emergency response fund, which is at about 400000 right now with a target of a million. Um, most of those funds will be granted back to the parishes for, for offertory support. And that, that, I think, can only help the foundation's relationship with with the parishes, and we are a relatively new foundation. So um, our, our pastors, I think, are still trying to sort out the foundation, what it is, how it's different from the development office, for instance. And so this really has enhanced uh, the relationship, I think, of the foundation with, with the parishes and with the pastors. And I think it'll become even, even more so once uh, we make, start to make some of those grants, which will probably happen over the summer. 
Um, most of those funds will go to the parishes, some to Catholic charities, and then then our schools as well. Uh, so uh, that is a silver lining to this, I think. Absolutely. Jim, I, I would add to that. One of the things that we've done, I would say absolutely to answer the question, are, will these relationships, how, how have they been um, developed and will they be developed or strengthened or continued? The answer is yes. Um, one of the things we've done um, over the last six weeks, we've hosted, we had about, a, a, I think it was almost weekly for six weeks, we hosted webinars for our pastoral leaders, business managers, stewardship chairs, um, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, those webinars were, I was surprised how well they were attended. I think we averaged 90 people at each one of those webinars. And we did them, I think we did six of them and told, all and told. And we basically developed this network of parish leaders that existed before, but now that you, their interest in our support is, is um, really great to see. And we're going to continue that communication and continue these webinars. We're certainly not going to do them weekly. It was quite a bit to do them in that frequency. But there was such a need and desire for them to hear and to share because each one of those webinars we did, we had at least two or three examples of parishes sharing what they were doing effectively on that particular topic. And that was really effective. And, and they found it great to be able to share their successes and their challenges um, in that process. So we did, again, six of them. And then now we're going to back off and probably do two during June and two in July. And we'll start to integrate different things that relate to the, to the work of the foundation, not necessarily exclusively parish focused um, as we go into the year. And I think that will help because the parish leaders, pastors will better recognize that we're in this together, arm in arm. Uh, and it is a collaborative, collegial um, relationship. Yeah, I would say here in Central Florida, I, you know, I think we've had a good relationship with our parishes and our schools because through community services, um, we've we've been serving them directly. But but similar to what Patrick just shared, I you know I think um, oftentimes when you're when you're servicing, you you have the service agreement and you have the fee and you you, you put everything together. I think. What has been different during the pandemic is that um, the, the entire diocese has seen the foundation, but we say all the time, we're here to serve. And I think they saw that in live action. We're truly here to serve. There, there was no time. We didn't have any time to like think about, well, what, you know, should there be an agreement or should there be, there, there is one agreement that we're working on that that's related to software. And that's taken a little bit of time. But other than that, we've just um, talked to um, the chancellor, the bishop, our board, and, and we've talked about these new funds. We've talked about offertory and how we can help. Um, and we just thrown things together. Um, and, and so I think from, from that perspective, there is, I think the relationship is good, but maybe there's an enhanced relationship where our, our, those that we're serving throughout the diocese truly see that when we say we're here to serve, we really are here to serve. It's, it's the mission of the organization. And there's been no questions asked. We're other than what do you need? And then we try and figure out how to provide a solution. Um, I, I'll just add on to that. I would agree um, with what Kimberly was saying. And I would almost add that that sometimes there's a skepticism about the work of a Catholic, you know, a Catholic foundation. Are we in competition? Are we, are we a headwind? Are we a tailwind? Um, and I think our value and our worth was really front and center um, with efforts that we've all engaged in, including the relief fund. One heartwarming thing that happened here um, that was very inspirational, I'm not sure how much money will come of it, but a group of 
priests got together, leaders in the community, uh, inspired by the papal alumner, um, who called his fellow Vatican officials to donate to among salary donation funds to use for direct service charities around Rome. He called, he put a letter out, he and a group of other pastors put a letter out and asked their fellow priests to donate a month's salary to the relief fund, um, wanting the foundation to facilitate that philanthropy on your behalf. So what where my heart was, the trust that was embedded in that message, um, that will go a long way, I think, um, in building continued relationship as we move through this COVID um, crisis and, and out of we also, I will add, um, made sure that our endowment distributions went out on time as scheduled in the amounts um, budgeted, uh, that we showed up um, in a credible way for this community um, because of the trust and confidence they've had um, in us for a number of years. That's great. Well, congratulations <laughs> to all of you. And um, one thing that I think all of you have talked about is uh, raising uh, emergency funds, right, or an, an emergency relief fund for parishes and schools. Um, and I'm sure you've had some very generous donors who have come forward during this time. I'm curious if any of you have gotten to the point where you're now beginning to distribute those funds and and how are you how are you thinking about or how is the committee or whomever is making these decisions how are they thinking about prioritizing those needs? Because I'm sure you're being presented with a lot of needs right now, and um, there's never enough money, right, to, to manage or to, to handle all the needs. But how are you prioritizing those needs, and how is that grant process working for you? We we did early on to set up an advisory committee that is made up of you know key leadership from our board with some really experienced professionals, um, as well as some experienced leadership on the side of the archdiocese that had great insight into um, what what the financial situation looks like um, at the parish and school level. So our analysis kind of boiled down to cash flow. Um, how quick are you going to run out of money? Um, and we prioritized um, those parishes or schools that were sitting with three months or six months. Um, we kind of put them in the categories of red, orange, and green uh, and tried to fund the red ones. We also applied for a grant from us, from this uh, big secular uh, foundation effort in town for direct support because we have so many multicultural um, parishes that had a lot of um, need. They were approached for need on direct service, rent, food, um, medical support. And so we were able to get some specific money for that Toronto need and get that money in. We were awarded that grant and we were able to match it with some other um, individual donations. And we got the money in and we got the money out, um, really leveraging insight from archdiocesan leadership, um, uh, you know, who, who has good insight into that need and on our committee. We, we are um, in the process of, of uh, raising funds and they'll be a, uh, we'll probably get to a, a certain mark, maybe um, maybe a half a million dollars in cash. We have right now approximately 400,000 raised. Uh, about 250,000 of it is in cash, including one cash gift of uh, 200,000 from a board member. Uh, so most of what we've raised to date has come from our board. Um, we also have an online uh, giving portal as well that has generated a number of smaller gifts. Uh, and we've got a, um, a quarter of a million dollar proposal out to Stanley Black & Decker, which is one of the major employers in the, in the um, uh, Hartford area. 
that we should have some word on that shortly. They've set up a $10 million fund and we've applied and, and our chairman uh, really led the process there in getting the application in successfully. So we, um, we're not quite there yet, probably won't be until till the summer. And we have a small committee led by the archbishop that will review all the grant applications. And then that will go uh, from there to our executive committee for final decision. Um, we're, we're thinking that most of the grants will be in the range of 1000 to 50000 with the parishes um, probably being at the front of, of the list, in particular those that are showing that they are uh, trying their best to shore up their own, their, their offertories through EFT through, and through other means, um, essentially, you know, uh, are they helping themselves? Um, and then we can maybe add to that as well. Um, followed by Catholic charities and, and, and our schools. So our, our target is a million um, and we're working our way to that, to that mark and probably will not really start to promote grant uh, grants until we hit, a half a million uh, dollars in cash. The foundation has also made a contrib uh, contribution. We'll probably be in a, in the range of a hundred thousand to the fund as well. Great. Excuse me, my bishop just walked in. That's oh. Me. So I invited him to come say hi, but once he figured out I was on the webinar, he ducked out. Oh. Um, so in Central Florida, I think we dodged the bullet for um, having to create committees or make decisions like that because the the, the ways that we uh, support, um, we we allowed the donors to to make those decisions. So in the in this in the situation with offertory, trying to get the parishes back to financial wellness, we created that web page and and the donors could choose which parishes they wanted to support and our messaging shared the dire situation and needs, financial needs throughout the diocese. And so people, you know, that, that's been certainly one of the blessings of this. And, and, and certainly we have one of the best jobs in the world to be able to work with these donors and to see this charity, even during this time, charity is definitely alive and well. Um, mm -hmm. And we've seen people doubling up on their offertory or their um, annual appeal um, and, and, going to ask about which parishes are in most need and then in addition to their own parish giving to other parishes so so in our case we didn't have to make that decision the donors making those decisions themselves and then with our mercy fund we we determined early on that we knew um, the broadest need throughout that community throughout our communities would be that food housing assistance and behavioral health and catholic charities the reason we chose them besides the fact that they're catholic obviously um, is because they're already partnering with a lot of our parishes to provide that ministry throughout the diocese. And so um, the, the donor knows what those funds are going for, and uh, the Mercy Fund is providing for that. We do have uh, another question that's coming from uh, one of our guests today. Um, do, do Would any of the panelists be willing to share some of the plans and suggestions to help parishes? Anything that you, beyond what we've talked about so far, talked about uh, helping with the offertory, but any other ways in which you're helping parishes uh, right now? Most of ours have been, most of our suggestions have been about communication. And so using all, all methods of communications, we've encouraged our pastors to get out there and create videos um, and to do live streams in addition to the masses that they're doing and, and just engage, um, use some of these meetings. We've coordinated some of the meetings with, with a few of the parishioners or donors and, and, and who they needed to engage with. Um, 
uh, providing just messaging about particular needs, whatever the parish needed uh, most, helping the pastor sort of craft those messages. So vary across the diocese, but but that's the type of support that our community services team has been providing um, specifically based on, on what they need. But really, it's all about communication, looking at where they're placing their online giving um, button or information on their website, making sure it's on their homepage, making sure people can navigate well, looking at their live stream masses and asking them to, you know, do an overlay in, in the live stream mass and to, to actually make an ask during the, the live stream mass. So th those kind of suggestions are what our teams uh, working through those 93 parishes uh, are, are doing. Yeah, the only thing I would I add a little bit, Jim, that we're doing, we have, this is in the, under the planning stage. Uh, I mentioned that we're in a capital campaign that we press the pause button on. When we revisit it or, or come back to it, uh, whether it's later this summer, fall, or, or thereafter, we're going to revisit the case and we may revise the parish component to be a, a heavier share. Uh, that will be a dialogue with our pastors advisory committee and, and other diocesan leaders. Um, but ultimately, the, we would envision bringing to the to the pastors and parishes a different formula that we had going into this or what we would have had four or five months ago um, as a way to help parishes financially um, recover some of the wet, which they might have lost. Uh, yeah, I was just going to add the foundation really is, does not have a staff per se. It's really it's really me in an interim capacity and, and one other uh, member of the Archdiocesan Development staff. So I guess it was sort of serendipitous that this happened at a time when we had engaged Change Our World in, in a uh, capital campaign because we had a sort of a, a ready-made, if you will, uh, staff uh, and drawing on their expertise. They have been um, instrumental in, in working directly with the parishes, uh, prob probably um, 80 to 90 percent of them in different ways, uh, in particular, uh, helping them set up online giving. Um, and that may also be a silver lining to this as well, um, because many of our parishes, um, and I can't quantify it, I suspect don't do it as well as they could do it. Um, and I think this is really uh, heightened an awareness of, of the importance of online giving. And so uh, we've been able to assist with that, setting up Facebook and other social media outreach, um, uh, implementing parish census helping them with other online giving, direct mail, solicitation, scripts for, for telephone outreach, kind of a parish toolkit to help them shore up their offertory. So again, um, you know, Change Our World has been very helpful to us in, in that direct outreach and support to the parishes at this time. There's a, an, an, an article in the New York Times yesterday um, where the author was talking about ways that you, they were advising donors to think about how they give to charities. And I, I shared it with our panelists early this morning. Um, one of the things that we're seeing is a big increase in donor-advised funds. And uh, how are you? Uh, are you seeing that? Uh, and are you? How are you advising your donors differently? Uh, the article talked about, um, you know, if you're using donor-advised funds and you have those built up in your account, go ahead and you know maybe pay out your pledge early because the organizations that you're supporting now clearly need the money now. Um, are you advising your donors a little bit differently now in this climate as, as uh, 
around donor advised funds or around their giving? Um, I can maybe kick this one off. I, I would say we, uh, you know, just huge amounts of uh, grant activity move through our foundation as a result of donor advised funds. I think um, the payout rate over five years is close to 75, 80%. So we're very different than the corporate donor advised fund kind of spending um, averages. Uh, and so we don't really have to do that much to inspire our, our donors to give and to give more. They've been doing that in spades, the major gifts that came forward. We, I think we raised over a million dollars within a couple of weeks, two to three weeks after we launched this fund. Some of those gifts were 50, 100, but a lot of the big dollars came through donor advisors. Um, you know, we try to stay up on um, sophisticated um, plan giving options outside of even donor advised funds. We talk about that. We have a great professional team that is um, feed on that, has good background in that, and is is willing and able to meet individually with donors um, and try to in- inspire more people to get involved through a, a giving vehicle that just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have encouraging direct support where that may, you know, with certain distributions, you know, the tax efficiency of those distributions, et cetera. So I'm sure there's more to add on with the, my fellow panelists. <laughs> Great examples, Anne. Yeah, well, I would say just like Anne said, I, I think the messaging to you know encouraging um, uh, donors to consider their donor advised funds um, has already been part of um, the messaging that we provide for our website and any materials that we're sending out. And so I, I don't, I, I can't say that we've done anything specifically related to that. I think a lot of that was kind of set in place. But I can confirm that a lot of the contributions, like for the Mercy Fund that we established, a lot of those contributions are coming in through the donor advised funds. Um, and so we do see uh, an increase in uh, the donors utilizing their donor advised funds. What, what we're doing, I, I know a couple of our board members have made gifts through their donor advised funds uh, for the ERF. So our, our approach has been, um, since many of them are, if not nearly all of them right now, paying a capital pledge uh, to the Forward with Faith campaign. Um, we are we have asked them to consider a gift over and above um, what they're already what they've already committed to, um, and they've been very generous in doing that. So that that's really been um, the approach first and foremost to generate new new money, new funds. Um, if not um, an option that we've offered. Uh, to the board is to and and to other donors who have pledges uh, it, that they can direct this year's payment to the ERS um, and perhaps add a year onto their pledge. Mm-hmm. Some have decided have chosen to uh, to do that um, in whole or part, um, but most of what we've raised so far for the emergency response fund has come through new new gifts, primarily from the board over and above. Uh, their current capital pledge campaign. It's a really extraordinary generosity. We had a question about um, gifts from other sources besides private individuals or maybe private foundations. Are you seeing, uh, are any of you seeking support or have you had success through um, through other foundations or through corporations right now? Any corporate giving that uh, during this time? Uh, we have a, a donor, actually at the relationship that we've had for many years, um, a Jewish family uh, who has been very generous to the community in many different ways. And, and the gentleman served on our board, actually passed away a year ago, um, a private, uh, a prominent Jewish philanthropist. 
And uh, the his family foundation gave us a half a million dollar COVID or emergency release gift. We had actually asked them for a million dollars last fall, um, and uh, they had not made a decision on that yet. And then uh, we were waiting on that. They actually paid off another million dollar pledge to our seminary campaign, which is interesting in and of itself. That a Jewish philanthropist would support our seminary campaign. Um, but then they um, they gave us a half a million dollars uh, shortly after the pandemic uh, started. So. Again, not a corporate donor, but um, certainly uh, it shows you the, the work of the church expands all uh, certainly religions and nationalities. Um, and I think that just goes to show that the great work and ministry of the church, Catholic Church, whether it be charities or, or parishes or other social ministries is very prominent throughout our country. We had another question here. How many allow donors to keep their financial advisors with their DAFs? We'll do it over a million dollars, um, if, and that's worked out quite well for us. Uh, okay. With respect to future um, significant plan gifts, mm-hmm. um, but we don't. It's just we just don't have the internal capacity to manage and hold our responsibility for faith-aligned investing um, with so much outside management. But we will do it over a million. We we haven't. Um had um, anyone asked, but but we we work with our donors um, and encourage an advisory team. So so we often work with their uh, financial planners when they're making their decisions and even their their legal uh, counsel and their accountants and what have you. And and so we encourage that that collaborative team in making those decisions. Um, so. Um, that that's worked very well with the the donors that we've been working with, and so far we haven't had any questions about having their financial advisors uh, manage the investments once they make the contribution. We haven't had that issue. I would uh, we haven't had it become an issue yet, Jim. Okay, great. Kimberly, one of our guests uh, noticed that you're in your office, and uh, obviously you're you, you're your bishop pop by. We almost had a guest star. That would have been fun, but. Um, <coughs> Do you have a plan in Central Florida now or before the webinar, we started talking about the plans that you're starting to think about and bringing people back to the office. And are you guys, how are you thinking about that right now? Yeah, so normally Thursday is my day at home, but one of my board members wanted to have coffee across the street. So I'm here in the office today. Um, um, Yeah, so our plan is uh, we're looking at the the regional guidelines of um, how other businesses are opening up and um, trying to put together how we um, we haven't set a date yet, but you know what are the what are the guidelines that our staff will have? There, I mean, I can share with you some of what we're considering and what we're discussing right now. Um, we're looking at what um, you know are there certain days like how many people there? There's 18 of us on staff and and. Reality is sitting in their own workspaces, we would all be socially distanced properly, but some may feel a little uncomfortable. And so we, we may be considering different shifts for people to come in at different times so that there's not a full 18 team um, in one place um, on any given day. We're looking at, you know, uh, probably not mandating masks, but recommending that they wear masks if they feel more comfortable. We're looking at those with those medical conditions that CDC is defined as the most vulnerable, maybe giving them options not to come to work um, and to continue um, to telework. Uh, So just uh, obviously we're 
talking about the cleaning, making sure cleaning is being done maybe a little bit more than we had before, having our, our sanitizers. And, you know, I have to share, after my third child, about um, 2004, 2005, I had become a total germaphobe. And every time I lifted her up on my hip, I even taught her to turn her feet out. So the bottom of her feet touch my body. So I've been using sanitizer the way the world is using sanitizer now since 2005. So I, it's actually a very comfortable world for me and I love it. But we have plenty of sanitizer here and that's part of the plan as we, as we invite people to come back and, and work together. Has anyone else started thinking about bringing people back? I know a lot of us are still in the red up in the Northeast or the Northern part of the, of the country. Well, we're, we're following uh, the, the guidelines of the Archdiocese of Hartford with a soft opening starting on the 1st of June and, and more of a, I guess, a hard opening, if you will, um, on the 6th of July. So essentially that means uh, that half, half of our staff can be in the office at any given time. Um, and our, the hours in June are, are uh, 9, to, 9 to 3. So, and that's across the archdiocese, or at least across the, uh, the offices of the archdiocese. Anyone can work from home through June, they choose to. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure. And um, um, But I, I do go, I spend a day in the office and I have over the last eight weeks uh, anyway, and we'll certainly continue to do that through June. So that's, again, we follow the guidelines of, of uh, the archdiocese with regard to opening. Thanks, Bill. So we're we're just at the one hour mark here. I, I think we're going to we're going to wrap it up, but um, perhaps we could just kind of go around the horn real quick and um, any closing thoughts uh, from anyone, uh, anything that, um, anything in particular maybe that has struck you, uh, a donor who impressed you or an, uh, something that, something you'd like to share with us to kind of close us out today. What re constantly resonates in my mind as I, as I navigate, um, like all of you is, uh, you know, I've always thought that this work we do as a ministry, um, it's always felt like sacred space to me. Um, but boy, that has uh, showed up in spades, both in in uh, the you know reiterating the earlier comments about the extraordinary gener extraordinary generosity of our community, um, but the extraordinary work that we're able to do as foundations uh, to support mission and ministry in our communities, um, to support our parishes, to support our schools, so that you know our our. Advancing something really important, so I I think it validates the vocation uh, in a way that um, you wouldn't we would none of us would have expected to be tested. You know, I'll just say one thing that uh, that I thought was fun this week. Um, this relates to our leaders, I mean pastorally and bishops. We don't have a bishop right now. We're waiting for our new bishop, but our diocesan administrator uh, was kind enough. We had a uh, a Zoom call this week. Uh, with our St. John leadership gathering of donors. And we had 80 of our donors on a Zoom call with our diocese administrator, who was, the topic was managing the diocese through a pandemic. Great about that is I think at the end of, at the end of his call, or end of the call, he got as much out of that as I think the donors did. And it was great to hear him talk afterwards about how much he enjoyed interacting with the donors, um, sharing his thoughts, he fielded questions from them. It was just a great interaction and it was a great way to lift up our, our pastoral leaders. So, yeah. Thanks, Patrick. And I think it was mentioned before, too, that in, in some ways, maybe we're communicating more or we're gathering, even though differently, we're gathering more than we did before. And, and I think that's been 
one of my aha moments is that, you know, we, we've learned that the church is not the buildings and that the church is truly the body um, that we all are and that we can gather, not necessarily physically, but spiritually together. And, and we've seen that. We, we actually had one particular donor experience where um, we had started conversations about a, a substantial endowed donor advised fund. And we hadn't completed them when, when, when COVID hit, but we continued those conversations. And the director of philanthropy, Janet, and I ended up um, in the attorney's office after everybody was, you know, supposed to be at home. The attorney was the only person in their office. And so not only did we meet the donors and the attorney um, to sign the donor advised fund uh, documents, but we were the witnesses in their estate that they were updating because of all the conversations. And so, you know, that that's probably um, a relationship that we would have never had if it had not been for a pandemic. Um, so, you know, I think we're learning to live, work, play, and pray differently. And I and I think a lot of that will continue even beyond the pandemic when it is safe for us to gather the way we traditionally did. I do think there will be a new normal and much of it's very, very wonderful. Thanks, Kim. I, I would just add two things. And, and I think some of this we learned during the, uh, the, you know, the great recession when I was a consultant to, um, to nonprofits in several different sectors. And that is um, whatever you were doing before in terms of your communication, increase it, double it. It's an opportunity to, to do that with all of your audiences. Um, communicate the financial impact, keep your stakeholders informed, uh, keep them engaged. You know, they want to know what's going on. They want to know what the impact has been on, on the foundation or the archdiocese. Um, it's an opportunity to connect directly with your top donors, you know, um, um, a special briefing, if you will, to discuss, you know, issues pertaining to the current situation, update operations, um, you know, reaffirm your mission uh, and impact. It, again, it's it's a silver lining opportunity to re-engage, continue to engage, and 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 double your your communication efforts across the board. I would also say, and I remember counseling a number of my my clients would have 10, 12 years ago. You know, avoid rash a rash uh, decision in terms of your current fundraising plans. Um, you know, avoid canceling things wholesale or outright. Um, and certainly that pertains in particular to us because we're in the middle of a campaign, but make, adhere to your plans, your overall plans with reasonable adjustments. So I would, I would counsel that as well. Well, I want to thank all four of you for joining us on this panel today. It was a great conversation. I know those who listened got something out of it. I certainly learned a lot. Um, there were some questions that we weren't able to get to, but just in being respectful of everyone's time, I'll be happy to follow up with those uh, those folks who we didn't answer. But once again, thank you all. We'll have uh, we'll put links to everyone's organization when we post this up on the web. So if you have questions for our individual panelists, if you'd like to reach out to them, we'll make sure you can reach them through their organization. Uh, again, thank you all for uh, for coming today. Next week, we have uh, another panel. This is around the topic of the financial implications of opening parishes and schools, and we'll have uh, a new panel of experts to come and join me for that conversation. Once again, thank you all for coming. On behalf of Changing Our World, uh, thanks for being a part of today. 
Well, once again, thank you to Patrick Grace, Ann Cullen Miller, Kimberly Riley, and Bill McLean for being on our show this week. And if you'd like to view the full video of our webinar, just go to our website at advancingourchurch.com and click on the show notes. Next week, we have another terrific panel of experts on the topic of the pastoral and financial implications of reopening parishes and schools. And to register for that live webinar, just click on the show notes of our website. I hope you'll join us. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and the Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Once again, thank you for all you do to advance the mission of our church. We'll see you next week. Be well and God bless.